The Lord be with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. We warmly welcome you this sunlit morning in Marsh Chapel where the springtime is blooming outside. And we pray that your presence might be full of spirit and joy as we worship together. We look forward to a vibrant service with music from the always amazing Inner Strength Gospel Choir directed by Herb Jones and with a good word preached by Jessica Chicka, our Chapel Associate for Lutheran Ministry and Sustainability. Let us rejoice together, stand as we are able, and sing in praise of God.
please join in a communal word of prayer. O oh God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We come to the point in our service where we acknowledge the unkind things that we have done and even the things we have left undone. As the choir lifts up a quiet Kyrie, may we pray for mercy and grace that we might once again become fully embraced with the sacred spirit around us and be made whole. Friends, hear the good news. There is more love in God than there is sin in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson for the first episode of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The Lord of the Lord. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading Psalm 4 responsively with Antiphon. Answer me when I call, O God, of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Please stand for the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 48. Glory to you, O Lord. While the disciples were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, 
Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you when I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning. It is such a pleasure to join you from the pulpit today, and I am so thankful to Dean Hill and the rest of the Marsh Chapel staff for this opportunity to be with you as a preacher. Um, You may have felt some slight deja vu with the gospel that was just read by my dad, uh, the Reverend Raymond Hittinger. In fact, if I were a cruel preacher, I might put you all through a pop quiz um, on this week's passage in comparison to last week's passage. Uh, This week's passage from Luke is so similar to the passage from the Gospel of John from last week. Jesus appears to the disciples on the evening of what we now celebrate as Easter Sunday. But in Luke's account, there are major differences. There's no doubting Thomas, as John describes. Instead, all of the disciples share in doubt as well as fear. The disciples in John's account are oddly not afraid when Jesus appears to them. They're joyful. Luke's account actually seems more plausible. The disciples are more than just frightened by Jesus' appearance. They are startled and terrified. And rightly so. Dead things are supposed to stay dead. Despite Jesus' allusion to the fact that he would fulfill the scriptures through the resurrection before his death, the disciples, like so many times before, just don't understand what's going on. Unlike in John's account, it's not the disciples who ask to touch Jesus to better understand why he is there. Instead, Jesus offers his hands and his feet to the disciples, not only to see, but to touch. Commentaries on this passage suggest that Jesus is inviting the disciples to see his body is for them to recognize that it's him. The invitation for them to touch him is so there is no misunderstanding. This is Jesus, embodied in front of them. He's not some other person or a ghost, but is fully resurrected before them. He's a manifestation of a transitional period between the historical Jesus and his ministry on earth and the Christ of the future who will reign in the heavenly realm. Even with this information, even in their joy of recognizing that this truly was Jesus who had just died two days previously, they were still in disbelief. They experienced an existential disruption by holding in tension the appearance of Jesus before them and the knowledge that he should be dead. When Jesus tries to comfort them by both eating and repeating the words that foreshadowed his death and resurrection, they still do not fully understand what will happen now and into the future. There are hints of the Jesus they once knew, but also indications of the figure of Christ that is beginning to form. They stand at the precipice of this liminal state, doubting and rejoicing at the same time. Not knowing what to do next, Jesus must tell them what the scriptures indicate will happen. The disciples are not actively participating until Jesus opens their mind to the scriptures. But even in this action, they are passive on their part. Paralyzed in the paradox of fear and joy, the disciples cannot utter any words or contemplate what this reality means for their futures without Jesus. We're a few days away from Earth Day the time of year when we're encouraged to be hyper-aware of our sustainable actions and to show that we can care about the environment and the future of the Earth. Here at BU, our enthusiasm for bringing awareness to the environment and its crises is so great that Earth Day has been expanded into a series of events that extends a little over a week. We call it Earth Week Plus. Earth Day and Earth Week celebrate the beautiful, beautiful things about nature encouraging us to learn about environmental crises and hopefully taking on sustainably-minded actions. The celebration of Earth Day contains elements of both celebration and apprehension, 
reminding us that as we embrace our interconnected existence with the rest of the planet, we also carry a large responsibility in acting in sustainable ways. Perhaps the most pressing and in some cases contentious environmental issue in our global context today is climate change. Climate change for some is controversial. There are people who believe that it is not real, clinging to the argument that climate change that the climate change we are experiencing is only a natural phenomenon that is not influenced by human actions. Others hang on to climate change's outdated, outdated moniker, global warming, to describe it, giving the false assumption that every place on Earth must experience warmer temperatures for climate change to be true. I'm sure some of you experienced something like this during the past winter snow. I know I did. So much for global warming, eh? Or maybe you saw the video clip from C-SPAN of Senator James Inhofe from Oklahoma on the floor of the Senate with a snowball back in February, arguing that because Washington, D.C. was experiencing record cold temperatures, climate change could not be real. One should note that Senator Inhofe is also the chair of the Environment and Public Works Committee, meaning he is partially responsible for making decisions about how our country as a whole will respond to climate change. Or maybe you heard about how the Florida Department of Environmental Protection has banned the use of the phrases global warming, climate change, and sea level rise to limit any unwanted attention brought to their projects, mostly as their governor, Rick Scott, is also an avid climate change denier. You might think that the easy connection to draw between these climate change doubters and today's gospel is obvious. Both the disciples and these people share in disbelief over something that is right in front of them. You may go so, as far, go, so far, so, go so far as to call these individuals doubting Thomases, people who feel that there just isn't enough evidence to convince them that climate change is caused by human activity. But I would argue that the denial experienced by the disciples is something radically different than the climate change denial that is currently present in our country. It's a difference between carrying a tension of joy and terror which leads to disbelief on the part of the disciples and a willful ignorance or influence interest on the part of those who deny climate change. The Bishop of the Episcopal Church, Bishop Catherine Jefferts Shorey, has recently publicly stated that climate change denial is sinful, whether it is spurred by willful ignorance or for political gains. Sinful. Not wrong, not ignorant, not backward, but sinful. By those mentioned above, either refusing to believe the facts that have been presented by scientists or being swayed by political interests, including by the fossil fuel industry, they are committing sin. They are turning away from the severe impacts that climate change is creating around the world and failing to consider the larger impacts on nations that do not have the infrastructure available to, to, to address possible disasters on the horizon. They value economic gains and a continued status quo instead of facing the reality that we must take drastic actions in, in, our, in our lives to prevent further damage to the planet and to prepare ourselves for future changes in the climate. Ignoring the problem won't make it go away. As the epistle writer of 1 John tells us, sin is lawlessness. Luther interprets the idea of sin as lawlessness as creating a stumbling block for one's neighbor. It's insisting on one's own way. It's failing to love one's neighbor. This interpretation only serves to strengthen Bishop Shor Jeffert Shorey's argument. In climate change deniers' actions in presenting, pretending that climate change is not happening, they are asserting their own way without consideration of those who may, ne may need the most help. Climate change is not a belief. It's a reality. When asked to give her elevator pitch on climate change, science historian and Harvard professor Naomi Oreskes states the following, quote, It's simple. It's basic physics and chemistry that we have known since the 19th century. Carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. That means it's relatively transparent to visible light, but relatively opaque to infrared. Or to make it even simpler, light comes in, heat gets trapped. So if you put more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, more heat gets trapped. And sooner or later, the Earth has to warm up. That's basic physics, and there really isn't any other possibility. That sooner or later has passed, and here we are. Dr. Oreskes cites that as early as the 1940s and 50s, scientists were speculating that some, at some point, they weren't sure when, this warming was going to take place. We've now hit that point of average global temperatures rising. The overall temperature rise then leads to changes in the Earth's climate, creating new and sometimes more intense weather patterns. 
I won't bore you with the complex science explanations of how climate change actually works in altering weather patterns. After all, this is a sermon and not a lecture. But there is plenty of well-researched information available on the topic with which the majority, 97% of scientists, affirm the reality of climate change. However, just because we know that climate change is real doesn't always mean that we know the best way to handle its realities. Scientists predict that the impacts of climate change will be devastating for our global ecosystem and that those who live in the poorest nations will face the greatest challenges. Rising temperatures will not only affect weather patterns to create storms that will result in devastating consequences, but weather patterns will also affect people's access to clean water, food production, erosion or disappearance of land, especially in small island nations. Developed nations, such as the United States, possess wealth and the ability to potentially handle some of these situations, but developing nations, those which in most cases are least responsible for climate change, will likely feel its greatest impacts and have very little means to respond. We're even starting to see some of the effects of climate change in our own context. As I mentioned before, we experienced the snowiest winter on record in Boston and had record low temperatures this year. California is also experiencing a historic drought, which not only affects residents' access to clean water, but also impacts the rest of the nation as California is the largest producer of much of the produce that the country relies on. I traveled to California for a conference on climate change in February. Aside from my joy of escaping our snowy cold winter for sun and temperatures in the 70s, the reality of the drought hit me as soon as I arrived at the conference. The majority of the people attending lived in California, and the theme of the conference was why water is sacred, pinpointing their experience of drought as an effect of climate change. After years of increasingly severe drought, the past year has been a tipping point to create the worst drought situations that California has ever seen. I soon had to alter most of my behaviors. I take for granted here, but those behaviors that I probably shouldn't take for granted here taking no more than two-minute showers, turning on the water to get wet, turning it off to soap up, turning it back on to, to rinse off, eliminating wasteful flushing, and overall being much more cognizant of my water usage, water usage with every interaction. The first night there, in our very first session, many of us were devastated by its end. The presenter set forth such a picture of doom and dismay that it seemed pointless to even try to do anything to address climate change. Those who attended felt completely depressed. Why did we bother to come to this conference to discuss how the church needs to respond to climate change if there's no point? Often when people encounter the projected shifts in, in the climate and the devastating effects that we will most likely see in the next hundred years, including drought, flooding, superstorms, and destructive hurricanes, they get overwhelmed and depressed by all of this information. The systems that are at play seem too large to challenge, and the solutions seem too far out of our grasp to be made into reality. We are paralyzed in our fears about the future and our abilities to create change, even with the knowledge that we have gained about the problem. A paralyzing paradox of knowledge and fear. We, too, like the disciples encountering the risen Christ, are in a liminal space between the causes and effects of climate change, looking for answers to guide us forward. We might ask ourselves, what can I do? Or rather, all too often, we are swayed to ask ourselves, what can I do? Not that there's anything wrong with that question on the surface. We should be questioning our own actions, but we tend to get stuck in looking at only what we do as individuals. Our country places a great deal of emphasis on our abilities as individuals, which leads us to understand ourselves as isolated entities. Climate change, as such a large and complex issue, only worsens our anxieties when we think of its challenges as something that we have to overcome as individuals. Our paralysis and the paradox of the knowledge of climate change and uncertainty about what to do next is only exacerbated by our assertion that we must do it alone. Bill McKibben, the founder of 350.org and famed climate activist, gave a talk on climate change at BU this past week. One of the most poignant things he shared about advocacy for climate change was this. The most important thing you can do as an individual is to not be an individual. Come together. Facing the realities of climate change can seem less insurmountable if we join together in creating opportunities for resiliency. 
That's what happened at the conference I attended in California. After the initial evening of feeling distraught, the next two days together enabled us time to have conversation and make connections with each other across denominations, regions, and even areas of interest to help each other in developing plans for our ministries to take on the burdens of climate change. Another one of the ways that individuals have come together in a big way in the last year was the People's Climate March, which happened in New York City on September 21st, 2014. I was fortunate enough to be one of the 400,000 people, 400,000 people <laughs> in attendance for that march, which flooded the streets of downtown Manhattan. The march was in response to a meeting by the United Nations Climate Summit of World Leaders in order to show, our, show popular support for action against climate change at a global level. The amazing thing about the march was how it enabled people to come together in support of climate change action from various perspectives. It showed how climate change has already impacted many of our lives and how we're not willing to allow global political forces to continue to ignore these realities as global citizens. Even though we may have all come from different perspectives, religious, medical, education, workers' rights, etc., we were all united by our desire to draw attention to climate change itself and to show how all of these issues are connected to one another. Coming together in community is not foreign to us as Christians. In fact, it's one of our primary ways of being. We are called to be brothers and sisters to one another in Christ and to serve each other in God's love. Reflecting on today's gospel, the disciples are not encountering the risen Christ on their, on their own in Luke's account. They are a community joined together to share in this period of perplexity and will later, later go on as the community of Christ to proclaim the good news to the rest of the world. There are no individual actors among these disciples in this story, not like in John, where Thomas is singled out. All of the disciples are facing the challenge of the reality of Christ together. As people of faith, we aim to seek justice and righteousness in the world for everyone, not only for ourselves. Again, turning back to the scripture from 1 John read today, everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Christ, is righteous. We are called to do what is right in all situations, and in this case, what is right is to recognize the major injustices which will be created by climate change and attempt to ameliorate them as much as possible. In what ways will do it, what, doing what is right take shape? There are no simple answers, unfortunately. However, hope can be found in the actions of climate activists around the country and world. For example, Divestment from fossil fuel industries by colleges and universities, as well as denominations, has recently become an important means by which activists not only draw attention to the influence of the fossil fuel industry in various political and social institutions, but also encourages investment into alternative forms of energy. Additionally, some communities are focusing on forming alternative economies, such as time banking, which bring community members together in local economies that require less reliance on fossil fuels for goods to be transported. We are capable of being resilient in the face of climate change, and people are already laying the foundation for us to join in. If we are to effectively address the issues of climate change, then we must find ways of being in community with each other at the local level, within our church and our communities and also at the global level, through recognizing the ways all of our actions are interconnected and affect others throughout the world. Making connections with others expands our abilities to understand complex issues by seeing them from multiple perspectives and enables us to share our individual talents with one another to function in a more effective manner. By accepting the realities of climate change and seeking out opportunities to work together, we can eliminate the paradox created by climate change and free ourselves from its paralyzing effects. We know the disciples will eventually move out of the liminal state created by their disbelief in Jesus' presence before them by the time of his ascension. Likewise, we must move out of our liminal state of uncertainty to be empowered by our knowledge and communal capabilities to seek justice, to create a better and more sustainable future. Amen.
We enter now into a time of prayer. Please adopt a posture of prayer that's, comfor that's comfortable for you, sitting, standing, or kneeling at the altar rail as the choir leads us in our call to prayer. life. God, who is love, thank you for this beautiful day, for our friends and our family, for a place to worship in peace, for this congregation of spirit-filled seekers in which we make our home. Here we spend time because in this place we can feel comfort in our sorrows and celebration in our joys. We pray for this world filled with so much goodness and love that also finds itself dealing with war, hunger, division, and natural disaster. We pray especially for the courage and strength to work to protect our earth from climate change. We pray that the light of the divine shines brightly on us as we work toward a more just and healthy world. We pray for all people in our world that they should be safe from violence and oppression. Let no one be harmed based on who they are and how they identify. And let those who commit violence learn compassion. We lift up this day those in special need of a binding presence and steadfast love. For this and for all that is our lives, we pray. And now let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. peace of God be always with you. We'd like to take this time to welcome you once again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city, a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. 
We hope that you find a home here and feel that wherever you are on your own spiritual journey, this is a wonderful place for you to continue that walk. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better, and a great way of doing that is by putting your name and contact information in the red books towards the center of each pew, so please pass those along. Marsh Chapel is a living and breathing church with a lot going on, and I'm just going to highlight a few of our exciting events for you right now. Directly following the service will be refreshments downstairs. This is a great time for fellowship and coffee. Please, you are all welcome to join us. Also following the service today is our monthly international student luncheon. Any international students interested in joining me for fellowship and lunch, please find me after the service. During the last hymn today, the children are welcome to join Jamie Dingus as she leads them out of the sanctuary and downstairs for a wonderful creative children's moment. This Saturday, please join us in Marsh Chapel at 7.30 for Marsh Chapel Choir's performance of Handel's Theodora. It is certain to impress. And please register on our website at bu.edu chapel for our annual Earth Day cleanup, which is on Saturday, April 25th. I hope you're all inspired to join from our sermon today. You can see Jessica Chica after the service for more information or register on our website. Additionally, next Sunday, you are invited to a home-style hymn sing at 1.30. Please see the bulletin or Caitlin Know for more details. Other events and activities can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also an opportunity for online giving. As we call the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. Whether you are at home listening on the radio or sitting in community with us this Sunday, you now have an opportunity to practice the ancient, sacred discipline of Christian generosity. As the choir lifts us up in song, may you find yourself being as generous as you are able.
You are the Good Shepherd. Thank you for nurturing our life and sustaining our faith. In gratitude, we want to help others to know your love. Open our ears to listen to your voice and open our eyes to see, your bro- see our brothers and sisters in need. May our tithes and offerings give voice to Christ's love for all people. Amen. The God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of all grace bless you now and forever. Amen. (laughs) 